When you are running a million dollar company, what is the most important thing to be aware of and do something about today in order to change and grow, and especially in the volatile times that we are in? Here's the first and most important tip for you. Take your human resources seriously. So today we have the pleasure of having Svitlana Bielushkina in the studio with us. Svitlana is an international HR business-driven profile, currently the HR Director for Technology and Digital Expertise in Salando, among other things, Svitlana, am I right? Yes, among other things. I'm a business partner to a number of uh, teams in Zalando, Hana. That was correct. That's correct. And it's a delight to have you here. So Zalando has a workforce of around 16,000 employees, I believe. That's about right. Pretty big. Um, can you, uh, let's start by just uh, uh, explaining a little bit about the company. We're not going to be talking about Zalando specifically today, but just so we get a backdrop of where you are currently and what's interesting for you at the moment in your work. Um, what is um, what what are the employees in in uh, in uh, Solando especially challenged by these days? Um, yes, uh, Hannah. Th- first of all, thank you for having me here with you. It's it's a pleasure for me to be here and to have a conversation about my work and about Zalando and uh, about my experience in general. Zalando is a is a is a, it's a platform. Uh, we call it as a starting point for fashion. So if you are interested to get a new outfit next time you go for you know dinner, uh, that's the place to go, right? So you can go and you can select your style, your outfit, and we'll make it very easy for you um, to buy and deliver. Um, so Zalando is a company which is really developing fast mm-hmm. in the European market. It's one of the fastest growing companies we have in Europe. And uh, what, of course, you know, the... the uh, the challenges our employees experience are connected to speed. They're connected to change and they're connected to uncertainty. I find that interesting. And even growth in these volatile times must be different than growth would have been if, if things around us were calmer. And also, I want to just address the industry phenomenon, because, of course, the clothes industry is a bit of a, um, a controversial industry at the moment. But Solanda has their own take on this, don't they? Yes, Um the fashion industry has a stall on the planet, and we in Zalando actually want to be a solution to the problem. So Zalando is very serious about sustainability and uh, inclusion and how to make sure that the industry overall becomes healthier. That's a unique, uh, I would say it's a unique feature of Zalando indeed. Mm. So getting on the right side of that development it sounds uh, super exciting to be working there at this moment in time, I guess. So, uh, but of course, yes, it's brilliant to have you here. And let's um, uh, go a little bit behind the scenes and talk about your past and your CV as well. So as an HR professional, um, you've worked several places in the last 10, 15 years, haven't you? Yeah, as an HR professional, I've worked in a number of companies and I ended up in HR I, I'm not sure if by coincidence or by fate, <laughs> but, but I, I really enjoyed all my years in here. I worked, I started working in HR in a uh, non-government organization in, in Ukraine, in Kiev. We have been um, supporting very young NGOs that were established in, in Kiev and Ukraine. We were supporting them from organizational perspective on how to become sustainable, how to actually um, build long-term uh, organizations that would make Ukraine better place to be, and that was my starting point. I uh, I worked and I trained a number of small companies. From there on, I ended up in telecommunications, and there my journey with Telenor Group internationally um, for quite a number of years, around fourteen years, considering. Ukraine and Bulgaria as and Norway as places to work, and of course Deutsche Telekom um, and uh, the global experience I had there, and now in Zalando. So overall, twenty plus years of working with people and organizations. Mm. And I'm just I need to go there because it's there. the The uh, idea of your background, of course, is a very special one in the light of what we're going to be talking about today, which is of course storytelling. And the story uh, that is there that maybe we should save for another time is, of course, the, the way in which you're experiencing being a Ukrainian now living in Europe 
in the times that we are in. So with that as a backdrop, I think we're going to we're going to transcend it today and try to focus on uh, unpacking how leaders use storytelling or or fail to use storytelling in today's business life and the stories that are going on around us. And of course, zooming back in on this tool of the great story, the overcomer story and the victim story stuff, um, finding how we've experienced working together, because we've worked together a series of times, you and I, haven't we? And finding uh, the, 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 the skill sets and the examples of what we see there. And you have some perspectives on this. So um, if we think about your discoveries in terms of using the word storytelling alongside qualitative leadership these days. Where do you want to start, Svetlana? You know, I was just smiling listening to you, honey. We had a, a number of super cool you know, projects and joint experiences, and I would be you know, very happy to share. Now, I want to start just saying that um, in my introduction in the very beginning, we talked about human resources. And uh, this is the term I want to really move away from because it's not just human resources, it's, it's humans. And we work with people, and I think that's the, the core uh, essence of it and the juice out of these conversations. Because if you look into the organizations per se and big corporations or small corporations, global, local, um, it's, it's very easy to imagine the organization as an engine. Right, so it's an engine where different, you know, small parts collaborate and work, and then this engine produces something, whether it's energy, movement, or whatever. Right, so it, it has to work together. That's the company, and if something is not working, um, then then you fix it. Then you actually might have change a detail or you put some oil in it and make it work. And for many years, I was thinking about organizations in that visual that's the engine that has to work together collaborate achieve something together and over the last years i started to realize um and also working with the leadership teams and people and it's not just an engine it's a living organism mm. yeah it's kind of it's it's humans working together and it can go unplanned ways and it that is if you have emotion in the system you have a different truth there is no one truth in the organization there are many truths there are many opinions there are many story battle of stories and i started to realize that actually organizational development and the whole kind of area of hr or people and organizations is more like a living organism how can you impact a living organism and how can you really realign uh, a living organism and evolve into something new and the storytelling is super fundamental for that it's uh, it's a skill that is underestimated um, in organizations and can really be a true uh, difference maker. Oh, I love every part of this. So if I uh, try to take you back two seconds, you're saying that the, the, even the name human resources, uh, it, it takes us to like a metaphor place where the metaphor becomes something distant and something cold and something mechanical, like a machine. And now you're saying if we could just change it to humans, <laughs> Yeah, that's the that's the uh, and it leads me to um, uh, thinking about how the human software. I mean, that's just becoming more and more relevant these days of where, where the AI and everything is being introduced to us so rapidly. Right. The human software, as vulnerable as it is, as you say, go to all of these weird, brilliant, but yet very vulnerable places of emotional states and irrationality. Oh, that is amazing. So, and then say more. So you said something about the battle of the stories. What do you mean by that? Again, going going to be humans, right? So people, in a way, people just don't want to be hired and do the work when they come. They, they want to be inspired. Yeah. So they want to have an environment where they have something they believe in and the purpose they stand behind and they want to work for the bigger picture. Um, and all around us is a story. So I started to realize that you know, if you if you take, for example, a tree, it's a very material tree, it's a subject, you can touch it, it has leaves, you know, roots, that's a tree. If you talk about, you know, things like company, culture, government, education, whatever it be, this is actually a bad story that we believe in as humanity, 
uh, that it will make us better as a society and as human beings, right? So we create some concepts in which we stand behind them and we believe into them. The same is in the organization, right? So elements we have with our corporate culture, with our values, what is expected from you uh, day to day is a story that we believe in and we stand behind. And as I mentioned, there are different truths in organizations. Uh, not always those stories kind of come together in a harmony. Often they collide. So the, the, the importance of actually concentrating on those stories, making them inspiring, mm. making them really uh, relatable and, and creating an environment where people are listened to and, you know, taking as a human beings, I think is really, really important. What's coming up for me when you say that is that what gets in the way of that for many leaders is that they think that you need to work against the emotions or against the, 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 the human side of humans in order to create results. Yeah, you can work against, you can just ignore that's what we sometimes do yeah. in the corporate <laughs> environment. Like it doesn't exist. You know, you come to work, you put a mask on yourself and then you go and do it. And perhaps it does work actually in the environments where you have, um, like you have to produce consistency. Yeah, it's mechanical work which has to be performed. It's very routine work. Maybe there you can actually achieve results um, without emotions and maybe ignoring that, even though that's questionable, but you have a higher probability. The moment you go to the challenges, which is, which are connected to uncertainty mm. and ambiguity, and you don't know how, what is the best outcome. This is the moment where it just completely doesn't work. This is good. Yes. Say more. Because in a way, um, it's an adaptive leadership challenge, right? So you have to you have to really find the truth. No longer leader knows what the truth is. Um, so perhaps we can have some kind of high level vision of what we want to achieve, but then we need to ensure that we adapt, we react very quickly, we speak the same voice, we listen to diversity of opinions and find better solutions. And in here. Um, the storytelling, connecting to people's emotions, understanding you know what makes people tick is fundamental. Mm. Uh, and I found the work we did with Johanna on uh, on the mindsets and went deeper into overcomer mindset, you know victim mindset and and you know great stories. I found it very helpful. So lovely to hear that. How, of course, did you find it uh, uh, useful? We're going to get into that. I just want to kind of clarify and, and talk about the battle of the stories as such, because what you're describing brilliantly is that, so a leader might have a strategy. They'll sit down at board level or at, at a, a company top management level, and they'll decide this is the story. This is the story of our company moving forward. In a way, a strategy is nothing but a story, isn't it? So you'll sit there and you'll decide in the boardroom. And then we all know this hopelessly frustrating process of trying to implement that story in the corridors of any company. I mean, that's where that's where strategies just kind of dwindle away and go to die very often, isn't it? And the, so the strategic story, the places that the company leaders want you to go, then clashes against the corridor stories, the stories, you know, and you can listen into it straight away, which story uh, has most resonance, the corporate top management formal story, or the story that you hear in the corridor from a colleague of saying, no, well, you know, top management might be saying that, but you know what happened on Thursday? Right? Exactly. So, so the juiciness of the of the opposition story, we've talked about this, haven't we? How that creates like a, a battle sometimes. So, yes, uh, thank you for reminding us of the of the the skill set that we want to discuss today. So, we've got the great story, overcomer story, and uh, uh, victim story uh, uh, phenomenon. And if you people out there haven't listened to episode one of this one, then go do that first, and then come back in because we're going to be discussing that now, aren't we? And if we if you talk a little bit about how, one of my impressions uh, from some of our work together for over the years has been, let's take the victim story first. Where have we seen examples of that, do you think? Where can we talk about that? You've seen this everywhere. Right? Uh, I've seen it in myself very often. <laughs> yeah. guilty. I've been there very often uh, in my private life, also my professional life. Um, 
it's uh, you know victim victim mindset when you you know when you really um you feel yourself like a small child and you know it's it's not your fault but things you know don't go the way you want to go and you feel victimized right yes uh pray me and this pray me and the small child you can actually see it in, in sometimes in top management now, sometimes in corridors, uh, when they have this battle of stories and, mm. and, and they're telling their own perception of what they heard, um, when when you go home, right, and uh, you go back to the families and you have a discussion there, so that that is very present, uh, very very present, and I think it's just important to realize it's not good or bad. It's just for me, just a state uh, that we need to be cautious about yes. uh, and and work with it why uh, uh what, what so let what is the danger where can it lead to if we don't if we don't watch it the danger the danger is uh danger is a lack of lack of ownership of what is happening and then you feel fully disempowered or disconnected from what is happening right so in, in the sense when you are in the victim mode you you very often disconnect from reality and you say, yeah, you know, it's it's not my fault. It's the fault of this person, that person, or, or that policy or that process. So it's just um, it's just kind of puts you puts you outside of the boat. Mm. You are not inside the boat along with the people that you have driving to destination. You are outside. And sometimes again, it's good to to have that moment and to to kind of to reconnect with yourself and. Uh, um, to realize that you are in this mode and be the small child that has to be cuddled and uh, and, and supported. Uh, it's not very healthy to be in this mode for a long time. Mm. So you're saying if we pick it apart and create the, the skill set in here, listening out for the child in others, right? If so, if someone out there, someone you're trying to lead or someone you're trying to guide from an HR perspective finds themselves in a victim mode, you'll be hearing childish communication. Pe- people will be saying, uh, uh, I always get, they never get, or like exaggerating or making a black and white picture. It's like very, very well put that we, we lose grip of reality somehow. And also watching out then for externalization. So it's not my responsibility or even worse, there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah, this feeling of helplessness, yeah. right? You feel helpless. You can't really change the situation and you feel pity for for yourself being in this situation. Uh, and it can be expressed in different ways. It can be expressed as a, when a person is really sad or people can be angry. Can we have different expressions? But really understanding um, what, what, what do you really feel? What is really the needs you have, uh, mm-hmm. is quite important. It's also important when I work with the uh, leadership teams and sometimes to, you know, how they show up, um, uh, in front of the audience, how they make comments, how can they shape the perception of bigger audiences and, you know, bigger portion of employees? Mm-hmm. Um, cause very often we underestimate the, the value of the words we say. And when we are unconsciously or consciously in the mode of a, of a victim mindset, um, you know, we can create this reality for many more. Absolutely. So uh, the victim mode can be very infectious. Yeah. And if you take it back to the corridor story, you know, if you, if you try to spread the victim mode, oh my God, the top management never care about us. And all we have to do is live with all of this uncertainty. And, and uh, they, never, they never even uh, stop for a second to think about what it's like for us. This can be very infectious, can't it? It, it can, uh, absolutely can. So I think that this is what we also need to watch out when we, when we hear those stories, mm. when we hear those um, reflections. We, we, is, is, it's possible to work with it. It's possible to connect. It's possible to educate your leadership teams um, and to get out of the modes or at least be very aware uh, of, of where you are. Um, so for me, that is, you know, one of the elements which I'm watching now. It was very helpful for my leads when we worked with them, whether it was Bulgaria, Norway, or Germany, honey, right? For leads to, to have that self-awareness and to understand their impact on people mm. uh, and to give them the skill sets and tools that they can use. Brilliant. So when, if I was a leader in a company and I heard a victim story and I'm really like, oh, wow, there's a victim vibe going on here. 
what would be your advice for me? Call it out. Okay, naming it. Call it out. And, and sometimes it's, an, it's a wake-up call for, for a person as well, right? And it's a reflection. And, and, and try to, to have an understanding of why the situation is the way it is and have a conversation about it. Um, I, my advice would be not to ignore it. So not ignoring it and then naming it, calling it out and, and trying to... So in a way, what you're saying is finding the grown-up in, in the person. Yeah, we had we had a, um, a funny a funny situation. So yeah, the moment the moment you're all aware that you can go in this mode, and the moment you have the common language with your leadership teams or with your teams per se, you can even have fun with it, right? So we had a situation in one of my previous employers where, for example, I had two names. So my name is Svetlana, uh, as you know, and it has also a name of Natasha. And nothing wrong with Natasha. I love the name. But sometimes people could call me Natasha when they see me in the victim mode. Right? <laughs> so if, if I am not aware, so they would call me by a different name. And, and it was my agreement <laughs> with them that, yeah, yeah, I'm slipping into that. I'm, you know, whining and I'm complaining and I'm not really constructive. So um, this is, you can also have fun to really kind of help your team overcome that mode if this is the mode you often find yourself in. Oh, that is just <laughs> excellent advice right there. And finding the way to be self-ironic and having that type of humor. So it's not, so, and, and uh, as a leader, that is a, that, there's a skill right there. If I inform you that sometimes I go in victim mode and when I do so I'd like you to call me by my other name <laughs> that but that really Fun, isn't it that says something about you as a leader as well because oh. you would really have to not take yourself too seriously yeah in order and why to should do that. We? And, yeah and why should we ever right but the so if we look at the science behind what you just said it's actually huge because releasing releasing stuck emotions releasing stuck energy very, very powerful tool for that. Humor, right? So outing it, making fun of it and, and kind of seeing the silliness of it. Well, that's brilliant. And then you and I, we had an experience once, didn't we, where we talked about this in, a, in the context of this generation that we now like to call the millennials. I know there's a lot of leaders out there these days who are trying to lead millennials. I know there's a lot of people out there who are millennials themselves and who probably struggle with being themselves, I guess. Um, how can we adapt and, and put this terminology of the victim mindset over to that phenomenon that we seem to be seeing? You know, it's, I was, uh, you know, you know how to, I'm a millennial. <laughs> Let's talk to you about it, Danny. Let's talk yes. about, yeah. So I, um, definitely, I think there are some, um, uh, you know, I try not to generalize, of course, uh, but we do observe in some in some of the teams a trend of learned helplessness. I'm not sure whether it can be really just associated with millennials, but it's, it sometimes comes with a you know with a um, uh, with a higher demands uh, towards yourself when mm. you come into the working place. So you should uh, you should inform me. You should share this information. You did not uh, you did not explain enough. You did not inspire me enough. There is sometimes that um, feeling of victimization of yourself, uh, but actually putting all demands on others mm. without realizing your ownership of a situation. I spoke to my niece. She's a, she's a millennial. She's in the work. Uh, she's doing some really exciting work here in Norway. She's a young professional, and she said that. Yeah. She said that yes, because I I feel uncertain. I need really really specific feedback and orders in order to execute. Otherwise, I'm too frightened to do anything. So she's explaining it from a position of fear, I guess. And yeah, and also what you know talks to me right now is again uncertainty, right? Mm. Uh, when when the environment uh, becomes vague and uncertain, of course people have fears. It's, it's very human, um, and 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 then in that sense, you know, if you don't have enough, you know, experience, uh, then uh, then you, then then you are stuck in this victimized mode. So it's more again looking into my role in terms of the HR professional or people people in the organization professional. How can we help? create more safe environments for uh, these people and how can we create a sense of ownership and I sometimes call it extreme ownership mm. um, um, that's you know it's 
it's more going into yourself and saying, okay, if I don't have this information, uh, it's my tension, it's my, it's my, uh, my needs, then I go out and ask for the information. Yeah, if I don't have, if I uh, need to share, I go and do that. I'm not waiting for somebody to do it for me. So it's more um, of a support uh, to, to the younger teams, which we have more of a mentorship support, more creating this kind of like protected safe environments in the uh, times of uncertainty, where can they go and they can have an anchor or somebody who can advise. And at the same time, you know, supporting them and developing and training them to take ownership, mm. take extreme ownership in the situation and get things done. So uh, what it also tells us that we have different generations at workplace and we have to be, we have to de-average those people and we have to also have targeted approaches on how we can support them. So no longer, you know, one size fits all. That's what we say for our customers. It's the same for the employees. There is no one size fits all. Oh, that's wonderful. And also then making sure, so you're saying it's a two-folded uh, strategy. On the one hand, actually yielding to their need for security and helping them find some anchor or some kind of uh, leverage where they'll feel safer. And at the other hand, on the other hand, challenging them. And, and, and saying, you know, step up, take leadership. And you're saying uncertainty, and I could add the word the unknown, because I think for a lot of us, where we di- where we fail to dare is if we are frightened of the unknown, we're frightened of the consequences, right? And I guess that that's maybe, maybe part of what we're experiencing with the millennials. They're a little bit extra frightened. Needing to move on into the overcomer now. Um, so the the if we if we um, sum up the skill sets of the of the victim, I mean, there's much more than what we've managed to cover in this little amount of time. But listening in for the language of the child, listening in for the feeling of externalizing and wanting to be saved or helped, and then as you're saying brilliantly, outing it, putting putting a name to it, and then maybe using humor to expose it, so we know when we go there. And then on the one hand, catering to the needs for security and salvation in a way and on the other hand challenging and kind of appealing to the grown-up inside the human this is taking me right back to the organizational level that you mentioned of an organization actually being an organism and the idea that the, the whole organism will be either frightened or secure right and living with insecurity if we if we move away from the victim and into the overcomer um, how do you see that around you in 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 uh, in the, the the work life that you've had in the past few years? The, you know, by the way, Hannah, great summary. I was like, wow, we discussed all of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the overcomer mode. I think you know this is a very known mode to you and me. Uh, I often fall into overcomer mode, and I see a number of people falling into this mode as well. Uh, it's when you can just you will achieve it. Yeah, we totally no matter, go there, don't we? Yes. We, yeah, we'll just get it done. Doesn't matter, you know. We, you know, we see the we see the mission, we see the purpose. We just go and do that, without actually realizing that there are some victim modes, there are some needs which are not met. I that was the the overcomer mode was my uh, personal mode for quite quite some years, right? So I came from. Uh, the you know Ukraine to Norway. I uh, I had to. I was the youngest employee in the organization. I had to prove myself. I was working day and night without actually reflecting on my you know physical needs or social needs. Um, and uh, really, just I'll I'll get it done. I'll get it done. I'll get it done. So organizations uh, can really um, ask people to go to this mode, can't they? organizations can, can, at least some organizations, kind of also role model that, you know, this is the way we do this. This is the way we do things around here. Get things done, delivery, yeah. performance. That's what matters. Yeah, that's yeah. what matters. Yes, exactly. And, and organization as a body, as an organism can fall into that as well. And, and, and let's not be weak. Let's not yield to the weak, weak side, sides of ourselves or the weak voices inside of ourselves. When, when you say it like this, I can really recognize that as a leader sometimes, uh, you know, my temptation is huge to go there. I'm like, pull yourself together. We haven't got time for this. Uh, um, uh, get over it. You know, come on, be a professional, be a grown up. Yeah. And this is, again, what I said at the very beginning. You have a system, right? 
So you have a system, you have your KPIs, you have your goals you have to achieve, you have engines working, and let's forget about all that human blah, blah, blah stuff. Mm. Let's get it working. Let's get it done faster, you know, um, cheaper, uh, more customers to be covered. So it's easy to fall into that space for sure. And I do personally many times. And of course, there are times when you can't, you know, you can't really uh, pay attention to it and you need to kind of stretch yourself. And and as you said, as an overcomer, when you when you get overcomer habits, you can actually get really good at not listening to yourself, can't you? Yes, because it's a habit of not listening. Exactly. Right. It becomes a habit of not listening. And as a leader, you're not only listening, not listening to your own needs, which is very dangerous. Mm. Um, you uh, also stop listening to, to your people uh, and to the human needs that you have in your organization or you have in your team. Uh, and that is also becomes very dangerous to the team itself and mm. also to, to the company. So I want to bring in the uh, the uh, the the one word here that we're kind of all going numb to because we hear it so much these days. But I want to bring in the word sustainability. Because when we stay in the overcomer mode, it's actually over years, over time, not a, a sustainable place to stay, is it? It uses it, so we're using our own resources up. We're we're we're, we're we'll go to a point zero in the end. So that's, yeah, yeah. I guess, if I take us to like a normal everyday life in an organization, this is really one to watch out in terms of like burnout syndrome and, and long time uh, uh, people staying away from work and being overloaded. Yeah, it's going to break at some point in time. And uh, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's another mode to really be cautious and to watch out. Also, as a, as, as a people and organizational professional, do you, have, do you have teams? Do you have leaders who are falling into that operational engine overcomer modes uh, more often than not and then and how to support and how to actually change the pattern um, because you know people by end of the day when you again when you're driving when they're driving a strategy when you're driving a story when you have to achieve you know move from a to b you will get there as a leader in this overcomer mode you might get in there but you will lose people from your boat they will be outside of your boat, somewhere swimming or, or drowning. <laughs> oh, yeah. But you know, you you will not be able to bring everybody together along with you. And I think that's what that's what uh we need to support our organizations is very much about engagement of your people. Uh and engagement is at stake. And with engagement of people, you can achieve better service, better uh, business outcomes. It might feel uh for those people slower. Yeah, because they have to spend time on people and emotions and how they feel and, you know, how to really kind of get them motivated and engaged. But by the end of the day, it will make them faster. So sustainability, as you said, is, is really key here. You're also pointing to, right, talent retainment for me here now. Because if I have a very talented crew that I want to keep and I want to build a good team, then then if I drive them in an overcomer mode, then then uh, reason to believe people might lose interest or lose engagement or be too frustrated to to stay. Um, how can we? What can we do when someone? So if you meet a leader and you're supposed to coach him or guide him, um, how or her? How would you go about getting them out of this one? Um, it's, uh, you know, the same, I would say it's the same, uh, formula first is self-awareness. Mm. Yeah. So if, if you don't have self-awareness and realization, you can't really change things, whether it's a company, uh, and it's a company culture in general. So it's, it has to be collective awareness, uh, of, of what is happening and listening to the stories that you hear in the corridors. And, and taking them very seriously. Yeah. So this understanding and self-awareness on, on a company level, if that's the culture or on a, on a, on a leader level. Um, that's why educational leaders, giving them this language, giving them time to reflect and then the spaces to connect and talk about it is important. Um, you have also many elements, you know, many tools for awareness, which might be helpful in victim or overcomer modes. You have employee surveys, you have focus groups, you can just have one-to-one -one conversations 
where you can get, you know, you can ask questions uh, and, and get feedback on how, how you lead and have a conversation with your team, per se. And then um, slowing down and then acknowledging that there are needs, acknowledging that you have people in the teams and giving the safe space to, to process, you know, how, how you might feel. Excellent. I'm I'm giving you a huge big thumbs up here. You didn't see it, but it's it was right there for you. Um, yes, I think uh, I heard someone said that the French president apparently has a saying when he's in his car and his driver is like when they get stuck in a queue, he says, "Slow down, we're late." Oh, that's wonderful. Robert. Isn't that wonderful? That's just perfect. Yeah. I've heard "slow down and you get there faster," but I love this one. "Slow down, you're late." So. When we feel that energy of just push, 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 and, you know, we mustn't stop now, and people are so darn slow around me, that's when, as leaders ourselves, I think we really need to listen into the overcomer narrative and kind of slow the heck down. That's a brilliant point. And then the uh, what you're pointing to again is, of course, self-awareness. And it, it leads me to this being a huge, big uh, uh, kind of commercial today of, like, leader, know yourself. This is why we do all the leadership development work. This is why we get underneath those layers of like, who are you really, isn't it? It's in order to understand how we role model and how we actually can help shape the humans around us, right? So going to the overcomer, it's reminding me also that one thing is realizing I'm doing it. But if you were to coach me and I was in my overcomer mode, you also need to tell me I'm a good girl, <laughs> Because I'm doing ever so well and I'm getting you amazing are a good results. Girl. Thank you. <laughs> and so are you, Svetlana. We're the best of girls. <laughs> and because the 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 voice in me that rides the overcomer is, of course, wanting to perform, wanting to do well, wanting to survive, wanting to like utilize my my capacities to the max. So as we're hearing, both the overcomer and the victim also has like light functions and darker functions. So the light functions of the victim, of course, now we've talked a lot about how to meet it and make it a good meeting, but of course, just even creating the intimacy for someone to be sad or someone to feel like, you know, if I could come to you and go, I'm feeling really sad right now because this and this happened to me. If you were to listen into me, that would release something in our relationship and we'd know each other better. And the same with the overcomer. If you can listen into the light sides and kind of complement the the courage or the bravery or the uh, immense capacity that the person has, then you're much easier going to get to kind of them seeing the darker sides as well, I think. And what I, you know, what uh, stands out to me when I listen to you, Hannah, a few words. So we all talk about, you know, fear. Yeah. In both victim and overcomer, you have uh, the elements like you, you fear, you fear to lose. Uh, and uh, uh, you, you, it's, it's a fear of also lost control. And this is this is also what we need to, to work with people. It's okay, you know, it's a safe environment. It's okay to maybe not to show 120% of your results. Yeah, that yeah. might be okay. That might be okay to be like, you know, the organizations will not stop. It might, 80 might be just fine. But slow down, give, give yourself and give your team a space. I think it was also very important during the COVID times, wasn't it? Oh, just to definitely, wasn't it? It was like we were all feeling this huge kind of uh, um, something was slowing us down, wasn't it? The whole phenomenon slowed us all down. And and being mindful and and uh, um, taking care of people in that time was specifically, was, was particularly important. I heard the CEO of Pfizer gave a very famous speech during the corona pandemic. And this is before the vaccine was created. And he's male, he's 55, he, yes, he's white, he's got all kinds of privilege, you know, surrounding his title and name. And he holds this famous speech and in it he says, I am scared. So the CEO of Pfizer internationally in a town hall meeting for everyone says the words, I am scared. And that I think is like the best role modeling I've heard for years. And then of course he goes on to say, but I am not scared because I'm surrounded by incredibly talented, gifted people who will find this vaccine and we will make this work, you know. And you actually hear the segue to the great story. But he's admitting to be scared. And I find that role modeling is the only way, I think, you know, in order for us to take care of feelings like scaredness or fear in organizations. And he was very brave to show up uh, as he was. 
because yeah. we all are scared, you know, sometimes. And we could say if he had less privilege, if we take away the gender, if we change it to a woman, you know, I dare to say it's an interesting discussion. Could you say the same words? Right. But anyway, that's the sidetrack. So, and, but it's also a segue to the, the uh, if we move ahead to the, the final version in this, uh, the, this little uh, phenomenon world of ours, if we go to the great story, we have seen some leaders really dig in and go for the great story, haven't we? What are we seeing? We have, Hannah, and you coached leaders with me uh, in a number of different countries. So let me see if I learned your lesson, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> the great story and what we actually ask our leaders to do is to, um, you, you start where you are, that's your starting point. You understand, you, 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 you acknowledge the needs, you acknowledge the feelings, you acknowledge that it's going to be potentially tough. And potentially we have to go via a few bumps here and there, but we will end up in a greater place. Yeah, so you end up inspiring people. So in a way you inspire and at the same time acknowledge that you have feelings, you might be scared, you might, you know, um, you might go via some difficulties in a project or, you know, in whatever you have on your table, but we will get it to the better place. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's, that story, uh, clarity of that story, whatever it will be, um, uh, is, is important for organizations to have. And it's a battle of stories, right? Acknowledging that you might have conversations in corridors. You might feel this and that. And we, we understand it. We're going to work with it. We are not ignoring it. We welcome it as a reality. And all together, we'll get to a better place. So I found that work with you in a number of companies, you know, uh, fundamental for, uh, for, for a change. Do you remember what we did on the Europe talks? Yes, yes, I do remember Europe talks. Let's go back to Deutsche Telekom and the Europe talks phenomenon. This is, this was before the Corona, wasn't it? It was before, and uh, it was really about those battles of stories. Yes. So let's tell the listeners a little bit of practical info so we get what it is. So we coached around uh, more than 100 leaders, didn't we, in 10 different countries in Europe. We created a program which was about unlocking the stories that were present in the Deutsche Telekom system. And we had people tell some amazing stories. This is also the power of the principle of the individual true story, isn't it? Um, uh, now you say more about the great story potential in here. So we, uh, Deutsche Telekom at points where we worked together with Hannah uh, was on the girl's journey. It was a, a company that has been declining for um, a number of years on the number of financial KPIs. And we had a new management board who wanted to breathe the growth back into a segment, into a company. And the strategy of growth mindset that you can grow, that you can, can become a great employer, a great company for the customers, loved by customers, uh, really have unencumbered mindsets uh, and be obsessed with customer service was uh, was a strategy. And it was actually, it was lived and protected across the management boards. It was fully embraced. And what we worked with is actually exploring what stories you have on the grounds what people talk in corridors would actually uh, bother them, how they find their personal story in this corporate story. And what we create is just the platform for people to share uh, those great stories and created the wave of change and believe and trust. I, re I remember, um, uh, I'm sure we can name him because what came out of it was so beautiful. Do you remember Askan? Yes. 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 So here we have, uh, uh, I guess he was around 55 at the time. So we're also talking about this phenomenon, which is so important these days, about the generations that have to work together in the workplace. So he held this beautiful, beautiful story that really ended up in a great story, didn't it? But it took us through the vulnerability of a 55-year-old engineer who kind of is getting frightened of being made redundant or getting frightened of, do you remember this? What, Very well. What was your impression? What, what are you left with after that one? It is, it is indeed a story of um, a person. It's a personal story of being relevant again. This is my take on it, right? 
So um, as a person who has been in a profession for a number of years and decided to really switch and to be reskilled and to go to new places where um, uh, he's never been before, and how he started to really going by that reskilling journey. He gave an example, if you remember, it stays with me up to now, of, of going to gym. So when you go to gym and you start exercising, your muscles hurt and you kind of like feel the pain and you don't want to go there second day or third day, but you kind of have to. So he was explaining that what's happening in his brain. So he felt his brain was hurting for actually trying to acquire completely new and different skill sets and how he was motivating himself and also connecting it to the transformation of a company of Deutsche Telekom to become a digital provider and having new skill sets and um, uh, new jobs uh, oh. in the future. So that's the story that sticks. That's the story that we can tell each other in the kitchen. I will retell that story in the corridors and it actually will support the battle of a corporations, right? Mm. Become a digital provider. So how can you activate all of it and ensure your story supports your vision? The, so the individual example, I'm so sure also that Askan must have inspired so many other colleagues in those corridors to dare, to do this so, so important thing right now, isn't it? To, to let go of old skill sets and to acquire the new ones that are needed in your workspace. This, if we make that a great story, if we all face that as a common global challenge, which, it, which of course it is, even that would be the greatest story of them all, wouldn't it, in the corporations right now? That's a fantastic example, actually. Askan, if you hear us, Greetings yes. to you. Yes. <laughs> You're and a love. hero. And love. Yes. You are a hero. Okay. We are coming to the end. So I'm going to ask you some questions. You know the drill. I have a list of questions in front of me and they are numbered from one to 10. And I'm just going to randomly ask you to pick three numbers. Um, I'll go for one, four. And 10. So, of course, Vidlana does not know what questions she's just picked. I am going to ask you question number one. When did you communicate in a way that went terribly bad, in a way that was wrong? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be difficult, huh, Hannah? <laughs> yeah. Hard to find, darling. <laughs> no, it's just it's, oh, very often. Usually, usually I, I communicate wrong uh, at home. Uh, and, <laughs> Because my husband and kids just happened just now. We've been recording a podcast. And uh, my daughter, who was on a trip right now uh, in the forest, in the castle, she was out for three days. She just came in, didn't even say hi to her because I'm recording a podcast. But there's those moments of actually you train yourself, you train adults, you go in corporations and user trainings on how to do it right the moment you go home and you relax, you do it wrong. That's me. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, and then uh, question number two, I might guess where you're going with this one. Who are your biggest idols in the world of communication today? Who are your communication heroes and why? Of course, you, Hannah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. That was the answer I was looking for. No, uh, that's, uh, that's a very, uh, that's an interesting question. Give me, give me, give me a moment to maybe give you one more name uh, close to you. Um, I think I would go for Zelensky. Yeah, I knew we were going there. You knew we that? have to go there. Yeah. Yes, of course we do. The, I was thinking the, uh, when the world, when, that, when this horrible, horrible intervention from Russia started, when the war started, I was actually thinking the, the, kind of the, big, the time of the big speeches was over. I mean, we'd all listened to Trump for so long and it was like the, 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 the big narratives, the big rhetoric speeches with quality were over. And then you see this man. Why? why I mean, let's just put some words to it. What is it we see about him that makes him so powerful? I think, you know, of course, I have a very special connection as he's my president, right? Uh, in a very special uh, time uh, for Ukraine, uh, with the you know, Russian war in Ukraine happening right now. Um, I admire him for telling the great stories. Mm. And you know, the ones who really want to go deeper into storytelling, I would really recommend to read them. They are on the, on the, on the internet. You can you know, find them. They are connected to the customer. Mm. He, he knows what's at stake. Um, it is very human. 
it is very acknowledging the pain and what we are going through. Uh, but it has also the higher, you know, the higher purpose behind them, why we are fighting for mm. uh, and what's the price of it. We want to have freedom and that's what we stand behind. So I think those stories, if you, if you read them, they are in a very simple language, very easy to understand, very easy to understand and they're very human mm. um, and very tailored for different audiences. I'm just reminded of that. I think it's one of his very first speeches in the first 24 hours when he holds this uh, televised speech to the camera and he says he's standing with this whole panel of ministers around him and he just goes, we are here. We are here. Do you remember that one? And it's the simplicity of the words and that there's a story in that which is going to be a great story. Yeah. Demanding and, to be a great story. And know what you, you shared before, Hana, I know. He didn't say that, you know. I am afraid, uh, but mm. but you could you could feel that. Yeah, they mm. they they were afraid of what's happening, but they they decided to stay and they're here and they have uh, a high stake in yeah. front of them. So the highest. Stake. That's my idol for now. This will be our idol forever, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, finally. Um, sorry about this one. Um, uh, uh, the question number ten. You've kind of answered yeah. it already, but here I go again. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Questions for you. <laughs> okay, Another terrible. What is wrong with me? I think what is wrong with me? That... <laughs> oh gosh, so many things. Maybe uh, if you ask my husband, he will tell you better. <laughs> Can we have him come what's online? What's wrong with me? Yeah, I think I. Uh, I think what's what's wrong with me? I never stop being excited about things. And maybe you you know kind of you heard during this podcast I can go places and uh, things you know don't stop to really amuse me and excite me and uh, I, I like to really go deeper and understand and sometimes I'm as excited as a, as a small girl right? <laughs> yeah. so that's what you can see in me in work as well that is not what's wrong with you that is what's right with you sorry <laughs> <laughs> you fail to answer the question okay we oh. are at the very end Svetlana it's been a pleasure it's been a pleasure as a kind of final point we we uh, tend to do the step six of the communication code we tend to ask for feedback so how do we think this conversation went what is some feedback we can give each other um i enjoyed conversation with you i always do so for me it was also self-reflecting and uh uh once again reassuring to 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 look into the world of organizations more from the world of people and storytelling. Um, perhaps we could be a bit more structured. So <laughs> perhaps. As always. <laughs> so, it was kitty and uh, I, I enjoyed it. What about you? I think I what I liked the most was exploring and hearing your version and adaption of the great story, overcomer story, victim story work and how you've adapted it and how it seems to be so important and, and central to the work that is being done in organizations, living organisms these days. Uh, yes, on the on the darker side of things, I would agree. Structure always. <laughs> I think it's always going to be a challenge with me. Um, and and uh, but yeah, and then there's what comes out of not being too structured, which I really think there was a lot of today. Thank you, and thank you, and thank you for taking your time with us today, Svetlana. Hanet, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me.